Thank you for that. Uh, one quick announcement, uh, two quick announcements for the youth. Uh, remember that July 13th, any teenagers that are planning to attend camp that would like to earn money for camp will be having a work day here on the grounds, and that's on July 13th from 9 to 1. So I encourage all parents to have your teenagers come to that. And then any teenager, I think there's 17 that are going to our youth conference uh, at Grandview, July 15th and 16th. After the service, if you'll see my wife out in the lobby to get a permission slip signed, uh, we do need to make sure we have a permission slip for each of your teenagers. All right, now is the time for the reading of God's Word. And uh, if you'll take the, uh, there's a Bible on the rack in front of you. It'll also be on the screen. We're going to be looking today in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32 through 37. 1 Samuel 32, or 1 Samuel 17, verse 32 through 37. Those who are able, if you'll stand at this time, I'll read as you follow along 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 32 through 37. The Bible says, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and, he, and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this. That is, what are your secret giants? Uh, the one that we'll, uh, we'll speak to this morning is one that uh, it, it does not surprise me. It, um, in fact, it is one of the things that I, I think so many people struggle with. Um, and we'll, we'll hit it in just a moment. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in with a word of prayer. I mentioned uh, the two that we have been on prior and then jump into this one this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we ask for your help and your favor. And Lord, I pray that you would guide and direct our thoughts and our words, and may they be as you'd see fit. Lord, everyone that's here today needs something. We didn't come in, Lord, already fit and finished, but God, we need you. And we ask you to do that work again that only you can. Meet with us in the few moments we have. We are so blessed by what we have already heard, challenged in the uh, Sunday school hour, and then also been blessed by the great songs and the message contained therein. And Lord, I pray you'd help us now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. David uh, comes on the field that day and he sees Goliath, but uh, there were other uh, secret giants. And I think some of those things are the things that uh, we struggle with. And the first one that we covered a couple weeks ago was the giant of simulated spirituality. That is the idea of playing the part of a good Christian. Sometimes in life, you don't even want to be a good Christian. Sometimes in life, we struggle with our own faith. Sometimes we know all the words, all the lingo, we know the part. We can put on the smile, shake the hands, but in, in our heart, there's, there's a distance. There's a gulf in many cases, and really, we're not just very spiritual. 
In fact, it might be the case if I were to ask you right now, who is it that you would go to if you were pressed with an overwhelming burden? If you had a prayer that desperately needed answering, to whom would you seek? Is there someone, perhaps it's a family member, perhaps it's a pastor, someone of influence perhaps in your life in times past or even in present, and you'd say, that's somebody that I would go to. I I think they could get a hold of God. I remember when Rebecca was diagnosed with cancer, and and I I remember we made a quick list, my wife and I did, and uh, we started calling. There were a few people that, uh, that I thought, boy, I would want him praying. I would want her praying. I remember that very clearly. Sometimes in life, we go through the motions. On our spirituality, it's a, it's a front. Paul wrote about Timothy and about his unfeigned faith, something that was real. Sometimes you hear it said in a complimentary way, I appreciate somebody who's just real. And the question for all of us today would be, what's your faith? Is it real? Is it legit? Or are we just simulating spirituality? I believe for many of us, we go through seasons where that may be our case. Our spiritual giants might be the giant of simulated spirituality. The second one that we mentioned last week was the giant of suitable solutions. Suitable solutions is wanting to take it easy. It is wanting to fit in. It's not wanting to ruffle the feathers of anything. It's trying to abide with the status quo and not... Uh, uh, by the way, it's very easy to do that. It's easy to do it in our culture because for you to take a stand for your faith might cost you something. It might offend. And by the way, we should never offend by our disposition, but it's entirely different matter to offend by our position. Nobody should be a jerk to anyone just because they disagree with you. Nobody should be unkind. You shouldn't be arrogant about what you believe but you ought to be confident in that which you believe. Paul said, I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed. Paul didn't have any question or wonder about it. In fact, on one of the greatest stages where he could have felt the the angst against him, he's there in a crowded room with the most notable figures in history of that day. And there he sees Felix and Festus and Agrippa, perhaps, and others, and he comes in, he's brought in, sometimes for sport, sometimes for amusement, sometimes because they legitimately wanted to hear what he had to say. Such was the case when one governor brought him in over a period of time. He was, uh, Paul was typically under what you might call house arrest during some of those days. But on this occasion, he's brought in, there he is before Agrippa. Believest thou the prophets? I know thou believest. And Agrippa says to him, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul, not fearing the crowd nor the occasion, says, I would that thou were not almost, but altogether such as I, save these bonds. He didn't allow that setting to intimidate him and cause him to deter from his position. But sometimes for us, we look for the most suitable situations. It'll never be convenient to be a child of God. It'll never be appropriate necessarily in the eyes of this world to take a stand for that which is right, that that which is clearly decreed in the Bible. But it is always right. You'll never regret, you'll never regret your position of faith based upon the Word of God when you have an opportunity to stand before the Lord. And each and every one of us will one day stand before the Lord. This morning we are brought to our third thought, and that is the giant of sustained sorrow. I don't know why it is. But it is a giant. It's a giant for a lot of people. 
Over the last few months, in fact, we preached something like this, a thought uh, along these lines last year. I believe it was in the fall. And I've been amazed still how many people are, and I don't mean this in a disparaging way, but in a in a gripping way, in a poignant way about where we stand, because a lot of times people can't get past something. And so we call that the giant of sustained sorrow. It doesn't matter how many times we hear a message or we're reminded or encouraged from Scripture, it's still that one thing. Our theme for this year has been your one thing, and for some of us, that one thing is not a good thing. Sometimes it's a great hurdle we we can't get over. Sometimes it's an obstacle. It's a, it's a wall that we have built oftentimes of our own doing. Sometimes it is a, it's a chasm that is too broad to reach across. And so for that reason, we speak this morning on the giant of sustained sorrow. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 2, and this speaking about Herod's slaughter of the innocents as, as to which it is often referred. And that is uh, when Herod, <coughs> seeking to be rid of Christ, uh, uh, sent word out and they slaughtered so many children. I, I, I can't imagine what this must have been like. The Bible says in Ramah, there was a voice heard lamentation and weeping. And great mourning, Rachel, speaking of Israel there, corporately speaking, weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they are not. Now, by the way, it's interesting to note that in that passage of Scripture, it does not say that comfort was not given. It does not say that comfort was not available. It simply says that for Rachel, Israel, corporately speaking, wouldn't allow that comfort to assuage that grief. And so for us as God's people, sometimes we go through valleys and seasons And I wouldn't uh, belittle or minimize anybody's hurt, disappointment, or sorrow, frustrations in any way. Everybody everybody has a story. These young people share a word or two of testimony of things in their life. And every one of us today, if we asked you to stand, you could give a word of testimony of sustained sorrow. But you don't have to be. You don't have to allow the wounds of your past continue to fester. You don't have to take that scab and every time there's a sound, there's a smell, there's a location, there's a name, there's a situation, or there's an anniversary or a date of some event that pops up and you just stay there in that giant of sustained sorrow. And as you try to get through life, as you try to make it from one day to the next, and it seems like almost you're in a fog, you're in a cloud, and what is it? Is it not that we know better? Is it not that we know what the Word of God teaches us, but there it is, and He's that giant, and it's that, that sorrow, it's that thing, it's that, that event, it's that moment, it's that situation, and we just can't get past it. And so maybe yours is a, a wound. Maybe someone wronged you, and I will tell you this, the Bible tells us man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. We're born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. There's not a person in here that hasn't been hurt. There's not a person in here that has not been wounded. There is no one here today that has not been wronged. Do you realize in this life you will spend your entire life bumping into sinners? But never forget that you are one as well. It's not to excuse. It's not to condone. It's not to drift away from it and say it's not real, it's not legitimate. It's just to say that sometimes we've imagined that giant to be so huge, 
And sometimes that giant is sustained sorrow. Sometimes it's a wound. Sometimes it's a worry and we think about, man, I don't know about tomorrow. I know what's going to happen next week. Sometimes we worry about things. In fact, most of what we worry about never comes to fruition. Job made the statement. We've referenced it before. That which I have greatly feared has come upon me. I don't know what it was that Job feared about, but he said something there, and I, I kept thinking about it. Maybe he thought about it every day. I don't know. Maybe it was the loss of his children. Maybe it was the loss of his, 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 his wealth. His possessions were all dissipated in a matter of moments. They were gone. He lost everything. Maybe it was the thing he feared. Maybe sometimes you come in each and every day, uh, you, you think about, maybe it's your health. Maybe you realize, uh, you know, as you, as you get older, you can't do what you used to do. Joe and I, we were out there this week and Andy and laying down on the job, literally. We were literally laying down that carpet and on Friday, Joe looked at me and it was about, it was about noon and he said, I'm spent. He said, I have nothing left. He said, I'm tired in body and tired in mind. He said, I can't even measure anymore. He said, let's go. I said, I'm for it, so let's go. And so I got out of, I, I, I went home, and I'm kind of walking like this a little bit, you know, and I'm, I wasn't making fun of anybody. It just felt better to do this. And, you know, they, I, I thought, man, I, I don't feel so, so good, and I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not as young as I used to be. Boy, that's a great statement there, isn't it? But I told my wife last night, I said, I think I'm going to go for a run. Thank you. I guess when you say run in my age, it is humorous. But having moved to Newburgh, I, I, you know, I had not mapped out any areas. And so my wife had an appointment with someone late last night. And so I, and, and we, I was home alone. And, and so I said, I'm going to go for a run. And so I, I put on my shoes and my shorts and headed out there and took off for, I did wear a shirt, by the way. I guess I should have continued with the entire attire, <laughs> shoes, shorts, shirt. Listen, you get to a certain age, keep them on, right? Right, fellas? <laughs> Ladies, you want to say amen to that? You see these guys out there pushing, you know, and the guys, you know, my age, you know? Go ahead, keep your shirt on. Boy, I'm really drifting, aren't I? And all of this with vi- visitors present. But so I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and run. So I did, and I, I didn't run as far as I normally, I just, just about two and a half miles, but I went for a run. And, and so I, I got done, and I felt so good having ran, finally, first time in a few weeks, but, but I realize that I am, I'm not quite what I used to be. You know, sometimes that causes fear. Sometimes that causes worry. Sometimes it causes the uncertainty of the future. And so sometimes that, that sorrow, that, that sustained sorrow is a, is a great giant. You know, I, 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 uh, some of you fear, fear about, worry about getting old. I worry about not being able to get old. Getting old is not such a bad thing. It beats the alternative. Now, I know I'm going to heaven, but you've heard me say it before. Some of you are laughing at this. Those of you that are my age or older, you're right with me. You're the ones who got the three-hour tour, the weather started getting rough and all that stuff. You, you got that. You're right there with me. The rest of you don't. That's okay. Just, just leave us alone for a moment. But man, I, I can allow that sustained sorrow to be something that just creeps up and I just don't get over it. The Bible says that Israel would not be comforted. Why is that significant? And I'll tell you, and uh, I'm going I'm to share just a couple of verses with you. Illustration will be done. Notice this in Isaiah 53. 
And I love the passage they quoted from Isaiah 43. He is despised and rejected of men. Notice this, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We're speaking about Christ here. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Now notice this. You got to get this. If you don't get anything else, get this. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. I want to focus particularly on the fourth verse. Every grief, every sorrow that you're carrying, somebody already lifted it for you. Why would you bother continuing to drag that through life? You say, Pastor, you have no idea what I'm facing. No, I don't. You have no idea what happened to me when I was a teenager or this, this event, uh, this traumatic event. And I, I, I'm not minimizing any of that. But I remember talking to a man a number of years ago, and he was, he was a few years my senior, and, he, and he, he began, everything in his life pointed to a, an event when he was a teenager. And he was angry, and he was bitter, and I, I finally asked him the question, and I knew him well enough to be frank, and I wasn't trying to be unkind. And I looked at him, and I said, you've carried that for 40 years. I said, how good has that done for you? I said, have you helped yourself by carrying it, by you bearing it, by you saying, no, I'm going I'm to pick that up. And in the morning when I wake up, I'm going to make sure it's the first thing on which I think. And as I go through my day and there, there's, a, there's a stall or there's a, a, a break in the action and my mind has a chance to sit back and drift and wonder, I'll quickly go back to that sorrow. Because I want it to sustain but I don't. Not because I'm bigger or better, but because I I don't want to go through life lifting something that God has already lifted. I would not dare do it with my sin. You say, well, that's a different matter. No, he died for my transgressions. He he was wounded for that. He took all of my sin. And I, I don't want to say, God, take my sin, but give me everything else. Give me every bad thought. Give me every bad experience. Give every, give, let me hang on to every wound and every worry because I want to go through life with sustained sorrow. Not me. I just don't. I could tell you about experiences and I, I could pick them open. And I could tell you about this situation and I, and I could show it to everybody. But really... I just as soon let him take it. Because I don't want to go through life with the giant of sustained sorrow. We choose sorrow. And when we do, it leads to more sorrow. Paul uses an interesting expression. In the book of Philippians, he's talking about Epaphroditus. And he says that Epaphroditus had been sick and he he got well. But he uses this phrase, lest it should have added sorrow upon sorrow. And for some of us, that's what happens, that giant of sustained sorrow. In 1941, of course, December 7th, a day that would live in infamy, the United States was attacked at Pearl Harbor by the Japanese forces, the Imperial Navy and Air Force. and It launched us into World War II. 
very, very quickly, as if we were not well prepared or equipped, they began to sweep through the Pacific. Some of the areas they took were many of the islands, and of course the Philippines was one of them. General Douglas MacArthur, who had retired from the military, actually, General Douglas MacArthur, when they called him back during World War II, he was in his 60s. And he had served so admirably. In fact, he was a commander at West Point a generation prior. So he's an older guy when he comes in. And they invite him back and ask him to be the commander. And they, he's working in the Philippines. And you know the story, the Philippines. He leaves at Corregidor. And he's ferried by boat. And they take him on a, on a plane, he and a, a part of his family, and just a small entourage. And they fly to Australia. And he makes the statement, I shall return. That's in 1942, and in that meantime, as Corregidor fell, the Japanese, and uh, I mean this in no disparaging way, but the historical record bears evidence that they were brutal in their treatment. Part of the reason was Japan had never signed on to the Geneva uh, Agreement, and so they did not feel obliged to do that. In fact, to them, to surrender was betrayal of your country. They never understood how the American forces could ever surrender. Because to them, they would rather commit harikari. They would rather take their own life or die and take you out. Many U.S. soldiers, soldiers from the Netherlands, Australia, New Zealand, and so many different foreign countries, Britain as well, surrendered there at Corregidor. And they began a march that became infamously known as the Bataan Death March. On that route, thousands upon thousands of men died. They were marching them as quickly as they could because they were fearful that the American forces were coming. And so they wanted to get them out of the way, and it took much longer, and so they became very frustrated. They broke the soldiers down into groups of 100. They were spread typically four across and 25 deep, and their guards were brutal many times. It's estimated that on the Bataan Death March, thousands of them were left to die. Many of them were bayoneted. Some of them were just, it's unthinkable, almost unspeakable what happened. In fact, several years after the war, they went by and recovered all of those victims and buried them in Manila at the U.S. at Clark Air Base at the U.S. military gravesite. They were taken to several camps, and those camps began to be Uh, liberated as uh, MacArthur and other troops landed in 1944, and they started in attacking Leyte Gulf and Luzon and different places, and some of this is familiar to those of you who studied it. And as they began to approach, the Japanese were, were very nervous and anxious, and they started executing soldiers. Word of this got to MacArthur through a group of underground guerrillas, many of the Philippine nationals who had allied with the Americans. And they learned about a camp that was called Camp Cabanatuan. It was located next to the city, Cabanatuan, which had a population of about 50,000 people. And in that particular camp, in its heyday, it had 8,000 prisoners. But most of those that were well and in good health had been shipped to other islands, and many of them to mainland Japan to be worked in forced labor. Cabanatuan had over 500 prisoners. Over almost 500 of them were American and a few smattering of others but they were very sick. In fact, they had one ward there that was called Zero Ward, which meant you were so weak, you had zero chance of making it out. But word came that the Japanese had a plan that they were going to execute every one of those soldiers. 
MacArthur and known only to a few people that they said, we have to go and we have to go now. We had no plans. We had no means of practicing, but we sent a group of 121 soldiers. They were called rangers. It was the first use of rangers on a scale of this magnitude and size, and they began a march 30 miles behind enemy lines. And as they made that march, they came upon the the camp there at Cabanatuan, and they knew that they had to strike at precisely the time and when it was at its darkest in the evening, and uh, they were doing the best they could, and they made the rescue attempt. And in that particular rescue, they rescued over 500 soldiers, only suffered four casualties of the 121 soldiers known as the Rangers, led by Colonel Henry Mucci. Only four of the prisoners died. One of the prisoners died right as they crossed the 30-mile line back into U.S. territory. They crossed the line, and he said, are we safe now? And they said yes, and he passed away from a heart attack, having been kept in captivity for three years. There was one ranger who told the story about going into one of the barracks, and he walked into one of the wards, and the people were so shocked. He was shocked by their condition. In fact, this ranger said he carried three of the men out himself. Not that he was that strong, but the average weight was 80 pounds. He said it was like you were walking into a skeleton closet as he saw these men. Those were our soldiers. By the way, those are the kind of people that stand for this. They said as soon as they crossed into American territory that the men, some of them who could not even stand, pulled themselves up off their gurneys when they saw the flag. For the first time in four years to salute it. But this ranger would go on to tell a story. He walked into this ward and the man who was too weak to get up looked him in the eyes and he said, I thought we were forgotten. And the soldier looked at him and said, forget you? He said, you're the reason we came. I don't know what's going on in your life today. Sometimes you look up and you think, God, did you forget me? I got this bad news, God. Did you forget me? I got this giant of sustained sorrow. God, have you forgotten? God looks at you every day of your life. As that ranger did for that soldier. Forget you. Forget you? You are why he came. Don't ever forget that. You are the very reason that Jesus Christ left heaven to give you eternal life. He said, I'm going to carry those sorrows. I'm going to bear all your grief. You don't have to have the giant of sustained sorrow. 
You've never been forgotten. You're why he came. Shall we stand? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If God's spoken to your heart this morning, maybe you have that giant of sustained sorrow. You don't have to. He didn't forget you. You're why He came. Maybe here this morning you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. You don't want to miss that. You'd be wrong about everything in life, but that's the one thing about which you cannot be mistaken. In a moment, the piano is going to play, and you'll have an opportunity to respond. Maybe it's by way of placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe it's by unloading that giant, leaving him here today. God will take him. He already has. Maybe it's something else entirely different between you and the Lord. Maybe you're not even able to get out from your seat and come, but I hope we'll be receptive and responsive when God speaks to us. Don't ever take that lightly that God would do such. Lord, bless in the invitation time. May your will be accomplished, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As the invitation begins, the piano's playing. If God spoke to you this morning, would you come just very, very quickly? Not going to try to extend it. I know we've, we've been a little pressed, and, but I, I really want us to be responsive. If God spoke and you have an opportunity to respond, I hope that you will. someone that needs someone to pray with them this morning? Well, if you'd let us know, we'd be happy to do that. What a song that is. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Well, amen. You may look this way. A couple thoughts about that. Don't forget what this week and every day is about with our freedom. I tell that story somewhat in conjunction, but also in line with the message. You have not been forgotten. You are why he came. Please remember that. If you get nothing else today, remember that. I appreciate so much this group being here with us, Brother Rasmus and his wife and these young people. I'm going to give you a moment to head to your table if you'd like, and I hope you will stop by and see them and, uh, and get a chance to meet them, purchase some of their CDs. It's important to have good music. I love music, and uh, you get some good stuff, take advantage of that chance. I want to encourage you to be back tonight if you're able. Tonight we're continuing our series on Fear, Faith, and God. That'll be at 5 o'clock immediately after that. We'll have a brief meeting with our ministry workers. And then we'll also have a dessert fellowship at our house after the service tonight. I hope you all come. Um, and uh, it, I realize many of you can't come back in the evenings, and that's, that's totally good. But um, we'd like to get an opportunity to open our home to you. Uh, Robert, why don't you come and pray and dismiss us in prayer. Be sure you show yourself friendly one toward another. The Bible says a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. 
And on behalf of our church as the pastor here, if you're a guest, I mean it, we are honored you're here. And thank you for taking time to be at Timberline today. And even though our schedule was a little bit different, it means a lot to us that you would be here. And I, don't forget two things at the counter with Mrs. Rosentes, the VBS sign up. Need a lot of help for that coming up in four weeks. And if you're here as a guest, please stop by, drop off that Connect card. We have a gift we'd like to put in your hands. And then also, uh, Jennifer, if you want to head back that way, I know the, the uh, permission slips for the uh, youth conference uh, will be there as well. Thank you so much for being here. Hope you have a great rest of your afternoon and a wonderful Fourth of July week. Robert, please pray. Thank you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful to be in your house today, dear Lord. Thank you for a message, dear Lord, that, uh, uh, dear Lord, as, uh, we could leave our sorrows, dear Lord, as you've bared them already. Dear Lord, I pray that you would just uh, uh, let us be better for being here today, dear Lord. Let us apply these to our heart and our lives, dear Lord. I pray that you'd watch over us as we leave today, dear Lord, uh, in our safe and travel. Those that are traveling for the week, dear Lord, I pray you'd be with them, dear Lord. I pray you'd bring us back tonight. Let us have a great uh, uh, afternoon, some time of rest. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And uh, you're dismissed.